good to be here with you tonight, and I'm so grateful that we serve such a good God. He is the reason we're here, right? And that we are not here because this is a social club or because uh, we're friends, but we're here because we serve the one and only King, and His name is Jesus. Did you know He's alive? He's alive. Just imagine how those disciples felt, especially Peter. Right? I mean, he denies him. You know, he, he, he said he was willing to give his life for him. All of these great promises. And then he forsakes him. He denies even knowing him. And then someone shows up and says, yeah, the tomb is empty. So he runs to go see. Yeah, it is empty. But they don't believe. And you have to think about what was going on in his mind. You know, Man, you know, hope against hope that it's true, yet kind of dreading it if it is, because I'm going to have to have a conversation with him, right? Because I denied knowing him. All of that. And finally, it's realized in sight, because Jesus shows up and they do believe. And imagine what he felt. And then Jesus takes him aside and gives him three opportunities to reaffirm his love for him. Gives him opportunity. (laughs) That is powerful. Look, all of you have done more than enough to not deserve more opportunities. Not even deserve the first opportunity. And unlike Peter, you didn't walk with Jesus while He was here on the earth and then deny knowing Him. Right? So you can look at Peter. Quite frankly, I think Peter had had a, a bigger sin to overcome than Judas did. Why would I say that? Well, Because I don't think Judas meant any harm to Jesus. He thought he was going to make a quick buck. How many times has Jesus got away from the crowd that wanted to kill him? Right? He thinks, I'm going to sell him out. Jesus is going to get away like he always does. We can do this all day. I'll just keep making money. Never thinking that Jesus wasn't going to get away. And and the reason I can stand here and confidently say that is look what he did to himself once he saw that Jesus wasn't getting away. He went and killed himself. He hated himself. See, he was greedy and he loved money more than he loved Jesus. Peter loved his life more than he loved Jesus. You know, when push came to shove, he was willing to die. But then when Jesus says, no, no, not that, now he doesn't know what to do. And so he's like, yeah, I don't know who that is. And he tries talking in a different accent. Because they're like, hey, you're from Galilee too. We can hear it. No, no, I don't know who you're talking about. And yet all of that and Jesus' mercy to him and his love to him and the opportunity for Peter. Look, at Peter is a foundational rock in the church. After everything he did, the Lord saw fit to use him to build you and I on him. The church. And so he wouldn't do any less with you and I. And he made all that possible for one and one reason only because Jesus is alive. If Jesus would have stayed in the grave, Peter would have just been... I don't know, in trouble, right? And if Jesus being crucified and, and taking our sin upon Himself, that was part of it, but it wouldn't be complete without a resurrection. It wouldn't be complete without Him being alive now. And there's a real living Jesus in a flesh and bone body just as sure as you and I have one. Less wrinkles than His. But I think he has some scars we're going to be able to see yet as reminders. And that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
That's a real God, a real Jesus, just as you and I are real, sitting right here. And so let's keep our, let's keep our vision simple tonight. Let's keep our faith simple that Jesus died for me. Make it personal. He died for me, and I didn't do anything to deserve it, right? And what He gave to me is a free gift to me, and I gladly receive it. I want to give you an overview, kind of, of the whole Bible. I mean, we fed you, right? And so now, you, you're not going to be hungry, you don't have to go away to a meal, so we can just stay here all night. So, starting in the beginning, I think we can do it pretty fast, actually. Starting in the beginning, you know, when you look at the creation story, here's God, Jesus, and, and they're saying, you know, let's, let's create. And so they create the whole universe. And the, and the world, and everything that's in the world. And then the masterpiece of their creation was when they made something that was like themselves. They made mankind. said, let's make man in our image, after our likeness. That means we look and act and, and behave and think like God. We, he made us mirror images of Himself. And He gives dominion of the earth to, to Adam and Eve. says, here, you take control. You have dominion. You rule and reign over it. Everything is in your hands. He, he created His masterpiece and then He gives it to them. Right? Amazing. And if, if we could go back to any point in time, I suppose we could say, well, I'd go back to the Garden of Eden and slap that apple out of Eve's hand right before she takes a bite. <laughs> but the truth is, is that each one of us have made the same choice that she has made. We have, at times, turned from what we knew was right and good and we chose the wrong thing. So we're just as guilty as her. So we shouldn't point fingers at her or, or lay undue blame to her. And then to Adam, uh, she, you know, she was deceived. Adam was not. He chose. She, she was tricked. He chose to go with her rather than stay with God. And in so doing, they handed the rights of the world over to Satan. Because we can go all the way forward to Luke chapter 4 where Jesus is tempted. And they're standing there on the mountain and Satan says to Jesus, he says, look over all the kingdoms of the earth. I can give you all this power. All this belongs to me. I can give it all to you if you'll bow down and worship me. And Jesus didn't turn to him and say, Satan, you know that's a lie. You don't own all of that. He didn't say that. Because Satan wasn't lying. He was actually telling the truth. It was all his. Now, he was lying in the fact that he'd give it to him and all of that. But he's trying to offer Jesus a shortcut. All right? We can even go further forward if you're taking notes to, to 1 Corinthians 4 verses, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4, where it talks about the God of this age has blinded the minds of them that do not believe. He is called the God of this world. And so, where did his godship, how did Satan become the God, little g, God of this world? Well, we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. That's where it happened. Because see, in Romans it tells us that whatever we submit to, whatever we yield to, we become slaves to that. Right? And so they yielded, they submitted to Satan and they became slaves to him and to his rulership. And so now here is the created world, God's masterpiece, and what he was so joyfully looking at. Here they completely gave it away and gave it to the kingdom of darkness rather than to the kingdom of light. And so God has a problem. 
How do I get this back? How do I redeem this? How do I fix this? And I don't think he sat there on the throne scratching his head going, how do we do this? But I'm, I'm saying to you, you know, he had an issue that needed dealt with now. And so he looks on the earth and he finds himself a man. A man named Abram. And he makes covenant with that man. See, what covenant means is if, if I make covenant with you, or as they did back then, they would make covenant with each other, what I own is yours and what you own is mine. That's what covenant is. It's ownership. And complete, you become family. You become one with each other. And so God makes covenant. He finds a man and He makes covenant with him. To, his plan is to redeem it all back to Himself. To purchase it back because it was given away. And so He finds Abram. And you know how Abram and Sarah, they were very old. 90 and 100 years old before they had their first son which was according to the promise God gave them. Isaac was born. And well, second son, I guess. So Abraham's second son, Sarah's first son. <laughs> and Isaac is born. And if you would read in, in Genesis, you'll see how that God asked Abraham for his son. He said, you sacrifice him to me. You take him up on the mountain and you offer him to me as a burnt sacrifice. And Abraham didn't hesitate a bit. It says early in the morning he got up. He went immediately to go do this. And he takes Isaac, and they take their servants, and they go up the mountain, and he's ready to take his life and sacrifice him on the altar. And the Lord stops him and says, don't do that. Because you are willing to give your one and only son to me, in your seed, the entire world and nations will be blessed. See, God had given this to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had given the rights of it away. God can't just take it back and steal it. He doesn't play by those rules. So he needed a way in. That's where Abraham came in and his covenant with Abraham. And that's why, you know, Satan is the accuser. You guys recognize that, right? Satan is the accuser of the brethren and he's always accusing. And he would accuse God of doing wrong if God just took it back. So he finds himself a man who's willing to give his one and only son to him. Now God, because they're in covenant relationship, right, has a right to give his one and only son for them. Nobody can accuse him of doing the wrong thing because, hey, look, my man on the earth was willing to do it for me. And so we go fast forward now to Moses and, you know, the children of Israel, they've grown into a huge number and they're in the land of Egypt. Moses delivered, with the help of God, delivers them out of Egypt and come, there, then comes the law. They're out in the desert at Mount Sinai at the mountain. God meets them and He gives them the law, which is to be a schoolmaster and reveal sin. That's what the law does. It reveals sin. And, but 613 laws, nobody could keep it. There was only one man who kept it. Jesus. 613 laws that they had to uphold. And so, He, he set the law as a, as a guardian, as a schoolmaster, to show what was needed. And then He sends Jesus. And Jesus lives underneath that law. See, if you can just uphold this law, if you can live by this law, you'll be considered righteous. And Jesus is the only one who held up that part of the covenant. That part of the side of the agreement. So now, Jesus came as man. He laid aside His Godship. He was still God, but He laid it aside. In Philippians, it says that He emptied Himself. And He didn't consider equality with God to be something to be used for His advantage. 
And he laid that aside and became fully man and walked as a man. All right? And his death shows his complete manness. But his resurrection shows his 100% God too. Right? And so he lays aside willingly his God, Godship, if you will, and walks the earth as a man, becomes obedient even to the point of death, takes our sin on Himself, and now God has a man, a perfect man, a completely righteous man in the earth, that through Him, that man could now pay the debt for everybody. At the crucifixion, when He paid with His life and suffered in hell for you and I's sins. And God raised Him up again, and He lives today, and He makes intercession for you and me. And the story is not over. Because if you just read in the end of the book, you know there's more coming. Right? It's not, it's not finished yet. You can go over to Colossians chapter 2. See, that didn't take so long. A review of the whole Bible. I, um, there's a saying that's something like this. The, the Old Testament is Jesus concealed. The New Testament is Jesus revealed. I recently had a friend of mine tell me that, yeah, somebody told him that. He said, do you know why there's a New Testament? He said, no. He said, because nobody understood the old one. <laughs> so God gave him a new one. So why did Jesus come? Well, one of the reasons that He came is found in 1 John chapter 3. I'm not going to take the time to turn there. I'll just quote it to you. It says, the Son of God was revealed for this purpose. So all of our ears should be like a dog listening to a high-pitched sound. What purpose? Why did He come? The Son of God was revealed for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. To destroy. That means completely demolish the works of the devil. That's in 1 John 3.8 if you're taking notes. In Colossians chapter 2, and let's look at verse 6. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in Him, being rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. So you see, Jesus doesn't force Himself on anyone. You have to receive Him. It's willingly. right? He was sacrificed for the whole world, but that doesn't mean that the whole world is saved. It's not God's will that any should perish. We know that's the will of God, yet people choose to perish. It's their choice by rejecting what, what has been given to them. So, you've received Jesus Christ as Lord. So now, continue to walk in Him. So you're rooted in Him. You're built up in Him. You're established in the faith. And what do we mean when we say, I have faith in Jesus? Well, it's simply, you have faith in His righteousness and not in your own. That the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin, past, present, and future. Right? That His blood is enough for you. And if you will put your faith in that, then you are secure in Him. Right? But if you don't put faith in that, and you think it's by your works, well, then you're not very secure. That's bad news. Right? You don't want to be in those shoes. You want to know that He became sin for me. He never sinned, but He became sin, is what Scripture says, so that I might become His righteousness. So now when God looks at Levi and judges Levi, He doesn't see Levi and Levi's past, He sees Levi and Jesus' past. 
And he attributes that righteousness to Levi. And so when Levi comes to the Father, well, the Father's listening because Jesus is coming to Jesus' past, right? His righteousness is coming. And so we have boldness to just come to Him and, and not be ashamed. So that's what faith in Jesus is. That what He did is enough for me and I could never do anything to make that better. I could never live a life that was holy enough or righteous enough or anything to, to, to be, be that good as Jesus. That doesn't mean we don't live righteous or holy or any of that. You understand me. We still live that way, but we don't earn salvation that way. We just receive it by faith. What Jesus did for me is good enough for me. Why is it good enough for me? Because it's good enough for God. You can't improve on what He's already done. You can't improve on perfection. Is that what the saying is? Alright, we were in verse 7. Verse 8. Be careful... That no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than Christ. What we were just talking about. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by Him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Look at your neighbor and say, I've been filled by Him. He is the head over every ruler and every authority. You were also circumcised in Him. Now let's back up to what when I was giving the overview of Scripture. When He made covenant with Abraham, part of that covenant is the shedding of blood. And so, some people don't realize that God made several covenants with Abraham. And it had layers to it. But in one of those covenants, there was circumcision. Right? And so Abraham and his whole household, all the men, they were circumcised as a sign to the covenant. And say, why circumcision? Well, think about it just a little bit. That's not a place other people are seeing. But you see it. They saw it themselves. Not everyone else realizes that you have covenant with God. But you know it. But you know it. See, it's not about what other people know about you. It's about what you and Him know about you. Are you understanding? Alright? So now he's going to talk about circumcision. Because that was a part of the covenant, being covenant with God. Verse 11, you were also circumcised in Him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. See, in Romans it says, it calls it the circumcision of the heart. Again, not something others see, but it's something you know. Now, don't misunderstand, there will be fruit from that that others will see, but they don't see the circumcision of the heart. You know that. Verse 12, when you were buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive with Him and forgave us all, someone say all, All. our trespasses. I wasn't expecting you to say that part, but very good. Some of you are on it. Why don't you stand up with me for this next verse? You all have full stomachs and are getting sleepy. Let's read this uh, verse 14 together. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. Verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities And disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them 
by him. He whooped them. That's what that means. He triumphed over them. He Back up verse 14. He took that certificate, that debt, that thing that was against us, our sin, nailed it to the cross. His death was your death. His resurrection is your resurrection. And Satan and the sting of death and all that comes with him, all the things where he thought he'd gotten the world back, are now beaten and have victory over those things. And now when death comes to you and I and we are standing in the presence of God the Father, death has nothing on us because His resurrection is my resurrection and guess what? My body's not going to stay in the ground down there. Eventually I'm getting it back and it's just going to be souped up, right? Beyond what it is now. A body without wrinkles. A body that can still eat. The resurrection is just as real for you and me as it is for Jesus. Just as real. Look at verse uh, 15 again. He disarmed those rulers and authorities. That means He took their armor away. He took their weapons away. And I like this part. He disgraced them publicly. You know, long ago when kings would, would go out to battle and they would vanquish another kingdom and they would bring those kings back and maybe the, the best generals and they would take away their, their, their armor and their weapons and they would sometimes even cut off their thumbs so that they could never hold a sword again. They, would, they were mean to them, right? But they totally vanquished them. And then they would have this parade. Public parade to show off that we beat these guys and take them into their own home capital city. And show them off. That's disgracing them publicly. That's disgracing the devil publicly. When the devil tries to pull one over on you, you can sit down. When he tries to pull one over on you, remind him of two things. One is Jesus has disgraced you publicly. And I'm on His side. And number two, Jesus came to destroy your works, devil. And He did. That's right. And He did. Hallelujah. If you're ever in the devil's house, go over to his refrigerator and put that verse on his fridge. (laughs) Jesus came to destroy you and your works. Right? Just remind them of it. Paul said it this way to the Galatians. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. See, His death was Paul's death. His death is my death. His death is your death. I have been crucified, Paul said, with Christ. He wasn't talking about being nailed up on the cross because Paul's physical body was never nailed up on the cross with Jesus. Right? He's talking spiritually. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Well, Paul was very alive when he wrote that. In a bodily sense and in a spiritual sense. But he is saying his death is my death. It's counted as my death. Legally, in God's presence, in the throne room, in the courts of heaven, His death is counted as my death. So he says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but who can finish it? The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Amen. Yeah, Amen. Go over to Romans chapter 1. Actually, you go to Colossians and I'll just quote it to you. You go to Colossians. You're in Colossians already. Go to, go to chapter 1 in Colossians. Paul said this in, in his letter to the Roman church. He said in verses 16 and 17, he said, I am not ashamed of the Gospel. Gospel means good news. What I'm telling you tonight is good news. 
is good news. See, bad news would be you have to go to hell. Good news is someone went to hell for you and came up out of there with the keys of death and hell. That's the good news. Because, he said, I'm not ashamed of this good news of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who believes. Do you believe? Yeah. Everyone who believes. It is the power of God for salvation. It says first to the Jew, and then to the Greek. He says, it is the righteousness of God is revealed from fa- in it from faith to faith. From faith to faith. And then he says, he quotes out of Habakkuk, and he says, the righteous will live by faith. Believing that what he did is enough for me. That I can't improve on it. My best efforts are filthy rags in comparison, is what Scripture says. And so we just receive it. Now, if you're in Colossians, let's look in chapter 1. I'm going to begin in verse 13. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Now, how many know where the kingdom of God is? It's within you. That's where the kingdom of God is. It's not out here. It's not what you can see or touch, but it's within. Where the kingdom of God resides within. Alright? We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. So here in verse 13, he said he rescued us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He might come to have first place in everything. See, Jesus had to be born again just like you and I do. When He became sin, and the Father turned away from Him, that's why Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And He went and paid the price. What's the penalty of of sin? It's hell. It's complete separation from God. He had to pay the price for sin for you and I. And when He was brought up out of hell, in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches it this way. He said He ended the pains of death for Him and did not leave Him in hell. And his body did not see decay. And so he brings him up out of there. Well, what happened? He had had to spiritually die for you and I to pay the penalty. And now he's been made spiritually alive. You know, in John 3.16, it says he is the only begotten Son of God. He's the one and only Son of God. But after his crucifixion and resurrection, he is never again referred to as the one and only. He is always referred to as the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn. Because you and I are the gazillions born, right? The many sands of the seashore born. Because that's what He promised Abraham. So Jesus is the firstborn. So He was made alive again, spiritually. You know, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus will um, experience death for every man. Every person. He experiences death. Spiritual death. Not physical death. Because in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it tells us that not everyone will die. 
Some people will be alive when Jesus returns. And it says they're not going to have an advantage. They'll just be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Their bodies will be changed. So he says not everyone will experience physical death because those who will remain alive at His coming won't die. So if Jesus tasted death for every man, what about them? Because they never died physically. So he's talking spiritual death. He tasted spiritual death for every man and then was made alive again for every man. All right, we were in verse 18. I'll read it again. He is also the head of the body, the church. Say, that's us. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile everything to Himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. He made peace, reconciled everything. Satan's godship and the works of Satan were destroyed. Verse 21, Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions, but now... He has reconciled you by His physical body through His death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before Him. Did you know that the blood of Jesus cleanses you and makes you holy, faultless, and blameless? Makes you holy, faultless, and blameless. Someone say, I am holy. I am faultless. I am blameless because of what He did for me. If indeed you remain, so there's an if, Grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction for His body, that is, the church. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you. To make the Word of God fully known. So whose servant has He become? He's become the church servant. The church servant to make fully known. To make what fully known? Verse 26 tells us. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's just say that. Look to your neighbor. Christ in you, you. the hope of glory. glory. Now, you've heard me say this before. If If you've been here a lot, if you haven't been, you'll hear it maybe for the first time. The word hope here is used in a biblical way, in a way that we don't use it today. Today, we use the word hope as in I wish, I'd like, I want, I wish it would happen. I hope it doesn't rain, right? We don't use it as the word faith. But in the Bible, hope and faith are very, very, very similar to each other. And it, it means, hope means confident expectation. There's no wishiness about it. Confident expectation. So let's read it that way. Because that's what it means. He is making known the, the wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the confident expectation of glory. So that changes it, doesn't it? It goes from being something I wish, I hope, maybe I'll get it, we'll see, I don't know, to I am confidently expecting glory with Him. I had a thought. 
let me explore it a little bit here. In Hebrews chapter 10, it's talking about priests and how the priest would stand and minister, but then Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for us. And in, in Hebrews chapter 10, in, in verse 10, it says, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time which can never take away sins. He's talking about how it was under the old covenant in the temple. They're always offering these sacrifices and while it doesn't take away sin. He says, but this man, speaking of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. Waiting until His enemies are made His footstool. What brings glory to Jesus? When His enemies are put under His feet. When His enemies are put like a footstool under His feet. And Ephesians says that every name that's named is under there, right? That He has authority over everything. So if He is waiting for His enemies to be made His footstool, that means He's waiting on you and I. That by the name of Jesus, we take authority over those enemies and we build them a footrest. Right? By putting them under the feet of Jesus. Let's go back to where I was in in Colossians and and I'll draw these together. It says this mystery of Christ in you, the confident expectation of glory. How is He glorified? When His enemies are put under His feet. How is a king glorified? When His enemies are put under His feet. Right? We can see it on, on, on a natural plane when one enemy overcomes another enemy. Well, it's the same way in the spiritual plane. He's glorified when you take authority over the works of the devil because you have the name that's above every name. You have the name that every authority and every power in all the earth must yield to. The name of Jesus. You're part of that family. And you get to use that name and build a footstool. All right, go over to Hebrews chapter 12. Christ in you, the confident expectation of glory. Hebrews chapter 12, we'll look in verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we... Okay, let me just give a little bit of backstory. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11 is the great faith chapter. We call it the Hall of Fame of Faith. And it lists all these great patriarchs from the Old Testament that were men and women of faith. And so now, he he finishes saying that and he goes right into this next thought. He says, Since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Tell your neighbor, look at Jesus. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the author and the finisher. He is the beginning and the end. He is the one whose idea it was in the beginning, and He's the one who will see it through to the end. You're not on your own. Remember, He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. 
He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In Romans 8.34, it says this, Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God, and He intercedes for us. He intercedes for us. He's having conversation with the Father about you and I, saying they're one of us. They have my blood on them. My righteous, holy life is applied to them. In Philippians 1.6, he says this, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you, he who started a good... In fact, put that up on the board. Um, Philippians 1.6. And we'll read that together. And then I'll play a recording of a vision that I had. about four, Yesterday, I shared this with the church four, yesterday four years ago. And so I'll just play that recording to you. Let's read this together. I'm sure of this. That he who started a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Alright, this time we're going to read it again, but personalize it. Okay? So, instead of in you, it's in me. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in me will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So he is the author and he's the finisher. He is the author. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is... He started it, but He'll carry it on to completion in you. In you. This, uh, what we're going to play for you is about 10 minutes long, maybe a little bit longer, 11 minutes. And it is of a vision that I had. And I thought about just sharing it with you uh, in person, but because that was fresh on my mind, it's going to be more accurate than what if I tried to share it from memory now. So I'll just play that to you now. I had been uh, been battling this wretched sickness for a week and a half, and last Monday I came in as uh, Sunday I came in as you know, and and uh, with the help of God and a bunch of painkillers and uh, ibuprofen and other things, uh, I came in and preached. And then I went home, and man, by Sunday night, I was just pretty bad off again. And uh, Monday, I was feeling really, really bad and until uh, about the middle of the afternoon, and uh, I, I drank some coffee. And uh, man, I felt so much better. It, it cured my headache. It cured everything going on, all my aches. I figured this really is the nectar of the gods. That or maybe I had coffee withdrawals. I'm not sure which it was. I thought, well, I'll put, a, I'll, put, I'll put a thumb in the devil's eye and I'll go run. So I went into the gym Monday night and I ran for, uh, I don't know, three, four miles. And um, then I got home and I started to cough and I started to uh, this cough. I mean, like it was severe. I was, I'm not exaggerating when I say I was up all the entire night. I didn't sleep at all because um, I was just constant coughing. I mean, like severe coughing, like I'm down on the floor because it's like uncontrollable coughing. And it was the middle, I don't know, middle of the night somewhere, three, four o'clock. I'm in the kitchen and I'd, be, I'd made myself some tea. And I, <laughs> I was, uh, you know, th- this time of sickness has... has provided me ample opportunity to spend time with the Lord. 
I don't believe for a second that God was behind this sickness. Right? I know where it comes from. But I also know where to go to. When the pressure comes, and when I'm getting squeezed on every side, when I'm, how did Paul say it? When I'm down but not out. I know where to turn. And I just allow the pressures that come on me to focus me a little more clearly on the Father. And you can ask my family, um, and they would tell you that there's times the house has been ringing very loudly with the praises of the Lord and with the Word of the Lord. And as the pressure becomes too much and I think, well, man, dying would be a relief, that's when you just start really getting into the Father's face and and one-on-one time right here. Well, hallelujah, in the middle of the night, I'm just going over lists of things to be thankful for. I'm standing in the kitchen and I'm thanking Him for what He's done for me. And I'm just honestly being a little overwhelmed with how good He's been to me. And I'm standing there leaning up against the stove, hoping that my shirt didn't catch on fire from the... uh, But it felt so nice and warm because I was cold. You know, last night was the first night I didn't have night sweats or fever or... Praise God. Yeah. Anyway, as I'm standing there, suddenly I sensed like the room got really bright. And and my eyes were open. I knew that the room wasn't any brighter, but I knew that I was seeing in the Spirit. And standing up, you know, about where, um, maybe about 25 feet away from me, it seemed like, in the spiritual realm, up in an elevated position at about maybe the height of the ceiling. I saw that there was someone standing there that was very bright. Um, I recognized it as an angel of the Lord. I, I immediately, uh, I had an awareness that I was standing upon the pathway of my life. And he was up there. And as I stood on the pathway of my life, in just that flash in that moment, I had a realization that Standing where I'm standing, behind me, the pathway of my life represents everywhere that I've been and gone and done. And from his elevated position up there, he could see all the rough places I'd been. All the places that I really don't want anyone to see, right? All the, you know, in my mind's eye, my path behind me is crooked and full of potholes and is winding and goes down into valleys and dips and over here and there and the trees and the landscape in that moment, you know, ordinarily if you asked me to describe my life, I wouldn't describe it this way. But in that moment, in this vision that I was having, I realized that behind me, he's going to see, you know, all the trees don't even have leaves on it. It's like wintertime. It's a dreary, dark landscape and this broken, busted up path that's my life, he can see. And I felt so full of shame. I felt so afraid and I fell down in that moment on my face because I was ashamed and I was afraid. And the Lord, and, and not the Lord, the, that angel said to me, he said, it's okay, don't be afraid. Stand up and turn around. And look behind you. And so I stood up and I'm not really wanting to look behind me because I know what I'm going to see back there. You know, this horrible broken path and what? Why does he want me to look at it? And I, I turn around and to my bewilderment, I see just straight as an arrow pathway that's wide and like 
just off into the distance as far as I can see, paved with like a very beautiful cobblestone. Had nice curbing on it. Beautiful tree line the whole way. It's beautiful. And I noticed that the roadway was the entire way, like it was glistening with something. And, and as I started following the roadway with my eyes closer and closer to me, I realized that it was glistening because it was wet with something. It was completely wet. And I, I, I looked down and I realized it was completely covered with the blood of Jesus. Everywhere I'd been, He'd been. Everything I'd done, His blood had covered. Had made the way straight. I turned around and I started worshiping and praising and shouting to the Lord and crying and laughing all at the same time. How's that possible? I don't know. It is. And in that moment, I realized that He'd been everywhere that I'd been that He'd promised I'll never leave you or forsake you. And I realized as I stood on the pathway of, of my life that each step I took, that too was covered with the blood. And every time I took a step, that too was covered with the blood. And I remember I, I, I got down and I knelt like this. And I went like this because I was down here like this. And I come up and it was dripping and running off my arms. And I thought, I realize that's how easy it is to receive from the Father what He's provided for me. He provided freedom. In that moment, freedom became real to me in a way that I hadn't known before. That I thought I knew, but I knew now in greater measure. Right? Freedom from bondage. Freedom from condemnation. Freedom from all the lies of the enemy that would just want to leave you powerless. And that He's promised to never leave me or forsake me. Every step I take, He's there and I'm covered. And I heard the Scripture that said, no man can take you out of My Father's hand. Right? No man. No one can take you out. And I realized that everything that He'd provided for me was available. He'd given it. And when He says take it, He already had My pathway bathed in it. It belonged to me. Healing belongs to me. Prosperity belongs to me. Being redeemed from the curse of the law belongs to me. Because He took it upon Himself. Jesus became a curse so that we wouldn't be. This is such good news. I stood up. I was so full of joy. So excited. I thought, man, I'm ready to, to run now. I realized that standing here, my path of life that represented my life didn't go but like one or two steps beyond where I was standing. And that each time I would take those steps, it would like materialize again the next couple of steps. You know, He, he guides our steps. He directs our path. He doesn't show us all the way, the whole way that we're going, but He shows us what we need to know right now, where we need to go where we need to step, where we need to walk. So I thought, all right, Lord, this is awesome. And I, I look up. The angel's gone. He left. I don't know where he went. Back, back, I guess. And I, I look up, you know, into the sky 
Um, and just expectantly, because it's in a vision, right? And I'm asking the Lord, I said, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? And I don't know. I mean, I expected to see him in the sky somewhere. Talk to me, you know. And I heard a tiny, still small voice from down in here somewhere. Say, what are you looking up there for? I'm down here. I'm in here. He has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. He's within. He's here. All right? That song that we sang, come, worship team, come. Let's sing this song again. The worship team, you can come. But not the song I was talking about then. You know, if the Spirit of the Lord lives within us, He, he reminds you. He gets your attention. He arrests you. He leads you. He guides you. But if we allow condemnation to stop Him, He's limited in what He can do in us and through us. But if we will put our confidence in the cross of Christ, in the blood of Jesus, and that His resurrection is my resurrection, then we can stand confident and bold in this time that we live in. And the world is in desperate need of confident, bold Christians. Of confident, bold believers. Believers that are followed by signs and wonders. Right? Followed by the preaching of the Gospel. So stand with me if you would. <clears throat> Father, we just thank You so much for Your goodness. that Your great kindness to us. That You made a way for us to belong to You, to become Your family again, and to take on Your name. And we're so grateful for the name of Jesus. We're so grateful that You sent Him, Father. Jesus, we thank You for giving Your life. We worship You. And Father, I ask You tonight that by Your Spirit, You continue to reveal within us the finished work of Christ. Cause the understanding and realization of what You have done for us, of what You desire to do through us. That it would become real to us personally, individually, in our mind, that we would know the next step to take. And that You will not leave us, You will not forsake us. And Father, that You have a plan, and a good plan it is. And we bless You for it. We just say, let's, let's say that together. Here am I, Lord. Here am I. Send me to do Your will. To do as pleases You. To bring glory to You. Isn't Jesus wonderful? We're going to remember His death, His blood, His body here in just a moment by taking part in communion together. And you know, Jesus said to do this in remembrance of Him. That when we take His body, He said, my body is broken for you. Someone say, for me. His blood was shed for you. And so when you take of the bread tonight we're gonna we're gonna have you guys uh we'll start in the back row come up the middle aisle and uh, you can take the bread and the cup and then file to the outside and up the outside back to your seat and then we can keep a continuous flow going and um what i want you to do is as we're going through that uh that filing through process 
don't disengage from your thoughts from what the Lord has done for you. Think of a time of something the Lord has redeemed you of and thank Him for it. And then think of another one and thank Him for that one. And you can do it audibly. You can say, thank you, Lord. We're not, we're not going to be quiet or anything like that. But I, you and I should remember. We should not only remember, but we should expect confidently that it's not over yet. That it's not over with me yet. And if you need healing tonight, take the bread, take it for your healing. Right? If you are dealing with some spiritual darkness or an addiction of some kind, take the bread, take the cup for the breaking of that. And stand confidently in it and declare it is broken tonight from me. So take the bread, take the cup, hold it in your hands. We'll take it all together once everyone is filed through. All right, take a hold of the bread. You know, when Jesus said, my body was broken and was given for you, it wasn't just nice poetry. It wasn't just something to write about and something for us to, to recite later. But it, his body was really broken. He had real stripes, real bruises, real wounds that he took for you and I. And in Isaiah, it says, by his wounds, we are healed. Peter changed that to from are to were, past tense. He said, by his wounds, we were healed. So 2,000 years ago, when he took those stripes for you and I, he took that for our healing. So if you need healing in your body, just take it and receive it by faith, just like you do the cleansing of sins. You just receive it and say, Lord, be it unto me according to your finished word. And let's take it. Lord, I receive your healing power. And I take it by faith that my body is whole and healed. That every cell in my body operates and functions correctly according to how you created it. Lord, I believe that what you did for me applies to me today. And I receive it. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. And he took the cup, it said he blessed it, he gave thanks, knowing what it meant for him and knowing what it meant for you. And by the blood of Jesus, all sin is removed as though it never happened. So let's take it. Now, if there's some sort of darkness that has been coming against you or you have some sort of addiction, I'm going to speak to that right here and just release your faith with the words that I speak over you. In the name of Jesus, I command this darkness, this depression, this attack of the enemy, these vile thoughts, I break them in the name of Jesus. You have no place here. This is holy ground. These are the temples of the, of the Lord God. And by His Holy Spirit, this place is cleansed of those things. By His blood, every foul spirit is removed. And we thank You for it. Every addiction is broken right now. In Jesus' name. And by the power of God, in you and on you, you are free and free indeed. So we are His purchased possession. He has a new covenant with you and I. What's His is yours. And what's yours is His. That's how covenant works. So, 
Paul said it this way. He said, you've been bought with a price that you are, you don't belong to yourself anymore. And so if we willingly enter into that covenant agreement with, with the Lord, that means that this week, we're going to act differently than if we owned ourselves. It means the things we do, the things we say, the places that we go, the way we operate, the decisions we make are going to be different than they would be if we just were our own. How many are okay with that? I mean, if you're not okay with that, then He's not your Lord. Something else is. So let's just make that declaration to, the, to Him right here. You can just repeat after me, Jesus, Jesus. You, are you are my Lord. And I surrender my life to You. Surrender my life to you. All, that All that I am, all that I have, that I, have I give to You for Your service. I am here at Your call. Father, use me to glorify You. All right, expect Him to be glorified through you. All right, love on each other as you go. Check up on each other. Make sure that they're blessed, that they have enough food in their cupboard, gas in their tank, and whatever else they need. family. Welcome to the full house. <laughs> Amen. Spirit, soul, and body. It's like a happy resurrection weekend for all of us, isn't it? It's so great to be here. Thank you so much for coming and being a part of the family of God tonight. I'd like to encourage you in your time of worship, which worship is from this moment on. It's not just when we sing songs. It's Oh, it's just a, a position before the Father, one of love and honor and attention and all of that. And we've just come together now, knitting our hearts together as one, doing that from here on in. So, but let's start off with the Word of God from Psalms 84. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They shall still be praising you. They go from strength to strength. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from any of us as we walk upright before him. What a beautiful promise. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. You trusting in the Lord tonight with all your heart? 
We have so much to be thankful for this weekend in particular, every day, but especially tonight. Glory to God. Jesus. Just say the sweet name of Jesus. 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 There's such power in authority in the name of Jesus. The first time Jesus came to this earth, he came as a suffering servant. He came to fulfill the will of the Father and became flesh and blood and walked on the earth as a human being like you and I to show us how to walk like a son of God or daughter of God. He became our healer, our protector, our redeemer, our deliverer, our friend. Everything you need is in Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through to the Father but through me. There is only one way to the Father, and that is through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back again, but He's not coming back as a suffering servant. He's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords, Redeemer. And He's going to redeem and resurrect all who are His. He said, whosoever would believe on me would not perish but have everlasting life. Are you a whosoever? Are you a believer on the one and only true God, Jesus Christ? Well, turn to your neighbor and say, are you a believer? Let's rejoice together. The children may be dismissed at this time. Glory to God. <laughs> well, good evening, everyone. Jesus is alive. Aren't you excited? That's the reason we're here. That's the reason we can overcome. Jesus is the reason we're gathered together to encourage one another, to celebrate the fact that he lives ever making intercession for you and I. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Well, we're excited to see you all here tonight, and I know we've got quite a few visitors with us, so we'd like to welcome you to Church of the Word International. We have Rebecca's parents here from England. Special welcome to you. And having said that, is there anyone that's here for the very first time? I know we may have some reoccurrent ones, but anyone here for the very first time, we'd just like to acknowledge you if this is your first time here. Right here. Welcome. We're so glad you're with us tonight. We hope you'll be blessed. All right. Well, we're going to prepare to return the tithe to the Lord this evening. So if you need a cash envelope for your giving, uh, you can raise your hand. If you're giving by credit card, please fill out all of the blanks. 
We serve a good, good God. How many know that? We're so blessed. And he is the blesser. He is the giver of every good thing. You know, it, it makes him happy. He delights to see you doing well. Psalms tells us that he takes delight in the prosperity of his servants. Now, when you look up that word prosperity in the Psalms, in the Hebrew, it says shalom, shalom, which means peace. But it's not just, it's an all-encompassing peace. Here's some words in that definition. A peace, soundness, welfare, health, prosperity, safety, completeness. So prosperity is not just a dollar amount. A lot of times we hear that when we hear the word prosperity. We think just a dollar amount, but it's, it's spirit, soul, and body. God wants you to prosper and be prosperous, spirit, soul, and body. So he does not want lack for you and I. Amen? All right. Well, do you know that what you do today directly affects your prosperity tomorrow? You can take specific actions today to make a prosperous tomorrow. Well, for number one, you can make the decision to believe that God wants you prosperous, to believe that he wants you to superabound and have the ability to abound unto every good work. Or you can choose to believe that, no, God wants me poor. He wants me in lack, or at the very least, a very meager level. Your choice, but what you choose to believe is going to set you up for tomorrow. All right? So tonight, we're going to look at five scriptures, and I'm going to ask for five volunteers that can read, have a Bible, and are willing just to stand up and wave your hand. Who, who, five volunteers to read a scripture for me. Okay, well, Jonathan, you stand up and um, actually, yeah, we'll go one at a time. Jonathan, you read Matthew 6.33. Actually, don't stand up till I tell you, till I call for this verse. Um, who will take Proverbs 3, 9, and 10? All right, Kat. Uh, who will take Luke 6.38? All right, Karen. And 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Alex and Malachi 3.10. Chain. All right. So when you're ready, I don't remember who has what. So I'm going to call uh, Matthew 6, 33. And what we're looking at is a today action and a now action and then the future result. So go ahead. All right. So seek first. That's an action you and I can do today. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his righteousness. And then what are you setting yourself up for your future? All these things. Well, if you read the prior chapters or verses, it was talking about how the Gentiles just seek eagerly after all these things, um, like living, you know, a, a career of all the needs. It says your father knows you need those things. So by you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you're setting up for yourself all those needs, all those things to be added unto you. All right, uh, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. All right, what's the today action? What's the now action? Honor the Lord with your wealth, with your stuff, a physical thing. Well, I just honor the Lord in my heart. It's just, just he cares about the heart. It's just in my heart. So I said, honor the Lord with your stuff, with your wealth. And then what? what what's the future thing you're setting yourself up for? What's the future? Your storehouse is overflowing. 
setting yourself up for a prosperous tomorrow. All right, uh, Luke 6, 38. All right, so today action, the now present tense action is give. And future, it'll be added to you in the same measure you use. Isn't that an awesome thought that you're actually in control of your harvest? All right, uh, next one, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. All right, so the today action is to be sowing. And whether you sow little or sparingly, well, then you're going to reap that. That's the future thing. So setting yourself up for future prosperity or future lack. So on, on the positive side of that is sowing bountifully. You're setting yourself up for a bountiful harvest, a bountiful future. Or not, you choose. All right, Malachi 3.10. All right, so testing the Lord on the tithe covenant, that's a now action. Something you can do today, right now. You know, if you're in a position where it's like, wow, I just, I want a future that's prosperous. I want, you know, I just feel like I'm bound. I'm, I'm trapped. I'm just, you know, on the, on the hamster wheel, you know? Like, here are specific things that you can do to set yourself up for a prosperous future. So the now action is to begin to obey the word in the tithe covenant. And then what's the future? What's the future thing coming? Open heaven. (laughs) Blessings poured out on you until there's no more room. That means you hear that overflowing, that just like brimming to the top and then spilling over. That's what God wants to do to you, for you. That's incorrect English. (sighs) Well, I never profess to be an English major. I know you're all aware of that. So, <laughs> But isn't this exciting that you know you are in control of your future prosperity and you can take specific actions today to begin to set that in motion. Set in motion today, future provision. Praise God. <laughs> Amen. All right. You know, isn't that an interesting thought that our prosperity really is more up to us than it is to God. He wants it for you, but you're going to limit him if you won't act on his word, if you won't believe him. Just a thought. Take a hold of your tithe. Let's pray. Father, we just celebrate you tonight. We thank you for your spirit here with us. We're so thankful we can be your children, that we can be in relationship with you, that you raised Jesus from the dead, and that he lives, ever lives in us and intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. Lord, we're so grateful for your word, for your promises. And we thank you, Lord, that you meet all of our needs and that your heart is good towards us, that you want to see us doing well. So Lord, I ask you to cause these tithers to be blessed and to superabound unto every good work in the name of Jesus. And amen. amen. The ushers can pass the baskets and the people will give unto the Lord. All right, so your last chance to sign up for the Ghana fundraiser. The sign-up sheet's in the back. That's coming up this next Sunday, not tomorrow, but the 24th. And it is Ghana Initiative's main fundraiser, so I would encourage you to come out, sign up if you haven't, and be a part of that. Many of you were here for our supper tonight, so can we just give a hand to all the volunteers? And especially to Debbie. Thank you, Deb. Yes. She does. She did a fabulous job, and I know she had a lot of help, so we really appreciate that. Um, and on that note, there's no snack afterwards. So.
Who needs snack? I mean, <laughs> there's food down there. Well, okay. If if you if you okay, if there's something down there, go ahead. Just clean up after yourselves. <laughs> All right. Another thing I want to draw your attention to. Maybe you've noticed it already. Maybe you haven't. But there's a new bulletin board downstairs outside of the preschool room, and you can make. I would encourage you to make use of it. So you'll notice there is like an area where to put a business card. If you have a business that you'd like to let everyone. Um, be aware of. You can advertise there. If you have a need, you can place your need under the need section. If you have something you would like to sow, go ahead and put that under the sow section or the seed section. I'm not sure how it's termed. But make use of that. I think it will be a valuable asset to the body. All right. Well, let's turn our attention to the word of... Oh, Debbie. Yes. Yes, a dish or a spoon. If you, if you, yeah, if you brought something, make sure you go home with it because we're not going to chase you down. <laughs> we do appreciate all your help and for bringing things. So, all right, Pastor, you come bless the people. And that includes your children. Take those with you too, <laughs> or your spouse. Hey, I once forgot my children at church. I left and went home. I thought we had driven separate. I thought she took him and she thought I took him and they were still here. So they thought we really believed that scripture that says I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. <laughs>